Hey everyone, before enjoying today's episode, I did just want to let you know that uh, Phil and I were having mic problems before this episode, so we didn't know this, but this episode for the first half was recorded on my computer microphone as opposed to the um, external microphone that we use. So the first half before the break sounds a little weird. Um, Our guest Matthew sounds good, but Phil and I are a little quiet, so... Uh, if you can, try to bear through that and then get to the second half. And then our part two of this episode will be recorded a little bit better. So um, thanks for dealing with that, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Cast Conversations. As always, I'm joined by the sick Phil. It didn't, <laughs> didn't rhyme today, but... It was more applicable than it usually is. And t- today we are actually physically together. Yeah, it's been a while since Phil yeah. and I have had an episode together, which is nice. Um, but um, not with us, but here on the episode with us, is Matthew Cruel. I kind of said your name weird. Matthew Cruel. There, that's better. I stumbled on your first name. Um, from the Imagineer podcast. So welcome. We're really happy to have you. Thanks so much, Phil and Jeremy. Nice to be on the show. Yeah, yeah. It's really good to have you. I'm a big, big fan of your show. Like, listen to, um, listen to a ton of episodes. Uh, after I got to message you and uh, was listening to it throughout the week, and uh, several episodes that I thoroughly enjoyed. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. Thanks for listening to the show. I had been meaning to listen to more episodes of your show. I just, of course, discovered it too when you guys messaged me. And I'm going to have to, as a former cast member, I'm curious to go in and hear some of the other stories. So I'm excited to hear some other perspectives about working at the most magical place on earth. Yeah, yeah. So kind of starting it off, when did you do, you told us you did your college program. What year was that? I did it a while ago. I did it in 2007. I remember when that seemed like I was a youngin, and now I'm not like I don't feel that old. But now when I think about the fact that that was 13 years ago, I'm saying to myself, it's pretty crazy how quickly time flies. And there are uh, cast members now who are essentially like little kids when I was doing the Disney College program. So it's a little scary to think about. But yeah, I did it in 2007. So do you remember where you lived um, for housing? Yeah, they did not have as many options as they have today. It was either at um, Vista Way, of course, or Chatham Square or the Commons. They were just building Patterson. Um, but I I lived in uh, Chatham Square, which was uh, actually one of the newer places at that time and a lot of fun to live there. I actually didn't know anyone that lived in Chatham when I did my program. That's like the one location I never went to. They had the cast parties. There, I didn't go to so. any of them. Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm <laughs> um, so, um, getting your college program, you were working in the Kilimanjaro Safaris. Is that kind of what you were hoping for, or were, what were you wanting to get when you did your college program? Again, it was different back then, so you didn't even have the chance to select attractions. I really wanted attractions, and I think I wanted probably one of the e-ticket rides. I was looking at, at the time, Expedition Everest was just a year and a half old, so I wanted Expedition Everest or Rock and Roller Coaster, something that has that gravity to it, and I guess pun intended. And uh, I, at the time, though, Disney College Program was a little different, so you couldn't select attractions. You could select 
operations, which is a broader category, which included attractions and parking and something else. I can't remember the third piece of it, but I knew it was a risk because I, I didn't want parking. I wanted to work attractions and you couldn't select which attraction you would get. I honestly didn't even think about Disney's Animal Kingdom on my list. And when I thought, except for Expedition Everest, I, I wasn't thinking, I really hope I get a job at, at Animal Kingdom and necessarily at Kilimanjaro Safaris. But when I got it and, you know, I went down there and I figured out that's where I was going to be. And I thought about it for a little bit. I'm like, you know, this is going to be a pretty cool job. And it really was. It was probably the best attraction I could have ever had the chance to work on. And it was a lot of fun. So I did not go in. It would have not been even in my top five list of attractions or those that I was a, I was aware of it. But I didn't really think about it in that way. And uh, looking back on it, I think it's probably the best position I could have received on the college program i was i was very jealous of yeah, anybody who strongly. got uh, the kilimanjaro <laughs> safaris it seems really cool um so what kind of drew you to the attraction side over anything else i think that taps into my love of imagineering and you know, surprisingly having a podcast called imagineer podcast so when i was growing up i always was <laughs> reading into and researching the uh all the attractions and how they worked. And I was just a huge fan of the operations of these rides. And so I wanted to work on a, an attraction that was intricate and selfishly, I wanted the chance to be able to explore an attraction before it opens and after it closed and get to know it a little bit more intimately. So that was, I think, just my love of Imagineering sort of bubbling back to the surface in a way where I wanted to physically get to see an attraction up close in a way that most guests wouldn't have the chance to see. Yeah, that's that's really cool. It's a cool way to look at it, too. Um, it's not just like, oh, it would be a fun role. Like, you were looking at it from a very, like, almost scientific view. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so um, I have to word it this way, too. Did any wild things happen on uh, the ride when you were working? <laughs> when you're working on an attraction that has live animals, it, it definitely gets a little wild at times. Animals are unpredictable. They do what they want to do. And so if you, I'm not gonna get too graphic here, but if you think about the things that a normal animal would do out in the wild, it happens at Kilimanjaro Safaris too, just about anything you can think of. And so that was something I saw on a daily basis, weekly basis, and it was always fun when that happens because there there is a very very small percentage of guests i'd say you know one in a thousand that think at especially back in 2007 it was been an event a really advanced thing that the animals on kilimanjaro safaris were advanced animatronics and as soon as they would do something that proved that they weren't created by disney they'd go like oh i guess these are live animals <laughs> um again like a really really small section of a of, the, of a guest audience but i have to say there was one particular time that some of the animals don't move that much and even the elephants are an example of there are there are times that the babies will be playing in the water and splashing around and it's cute and it's adorable but there are times they'll just be standing there and kind of swaying almost resting and there was a male elephant by himself which is how we we uh, keep them in the safari and how they are in the wild in fact when they get to be adults and the guest in the row behind me as we were in this area with not much going around except that one elephant, uh, you know, he kind of leaned forward over to my, my, uh, my cockpit in the front. And he said, uh, you know, did, are those real elephants? 
And as as he said that, literally the elephant started going number one. And it's really hard to miss when an elephant does that. And I just turned to him and I said, so does that answer your question? He's like, yeah, I got it. Thanks. <laughs> and just went and sat back in his seat. But that that's definitely the most wild thing that happens is all the natural things that the animals do and seeing how guests react to it. It was a lot of fun. Especially the kids go crazy for that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you were on the safari, did you have a favorite animal to see? Like, was, it, was there one you always look forward to? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, you kind of grow a fondness for a lot of them as you do the attraction because it's almost like they weren't pets, but it's almost like if you have a pet in your house, you just, um, it's not quite the same, but you just get to see them and you get to know their personalities. And um, I never got that much closer to them. In fact, as cast members, we weren't really allowed to get closer to the animals. I was not allowed to touch the animals, even if they came close to the vehicle. So I was very much kind of separated in that sense. But I always loved seeing the giraffes. Um, they're gorgeous animals, really gorgeous up close. And they tower over the vehicle, so it's really magnificent when you think about the fact that you would have trouble even climbing into this vehicle without steps or without the platform for guests in the back. And here's this animal walking by who's towering over the vehicle, and it's just really beautiful to see up close. Um, I did love the elephants. The baby elephants are are so adorable. In fact, any of the babies in the savannah are so adorable. <laughs> uh, the the lions are always really fun to watch and interesting. And there's a lot of the animals that I grew up on this for. But I, if I had to pick one, I'd say the giraffes were, were definitely a favorite. Well, that's a really good place to put it because that segues perfectly on my next question. Um, so you mentioned the baby giraffe. So I'm sure you heard about the giraffes that were born this time last year. Um, did you kind of feel like a connection to that almost because you would have been working with the giraffes that then had those babies? Yeah, it's weird to think about, but yeah, it's like watching your family grow up. <laughs> um, right. And uh, it, it is weird to think about the fact that some of the babies that I saw and even the elephants, for instance, they, uh, you know, they, they start out rather small compared to how big they're going to be as adults. And I remember going back after the years and thinking to myself, wow, that was, you know, that was a baby. He was a baby just just a year or two ago and he was so tiny and playing in the water and now he's looking like a teenager he's looking a little older like it's just crazy how you watch them grow and then to think years later that they're having their own you know babies out in the savannah is uh is really it's the circle of life going back to the lion king uh and and watching them grow up yeah exactly and again like i i feel like i would have had an even deeper connection if i was on the zoology team uh, or the animal care team out in the savannah, really caring for them. My role was mostly guest related than it was animal related. Um, I was out in the savannah to to take care of the guests and to have you know entertain them and inform them. And so my my focus was on them more than the animals. I feel like if I was an animal care, you know their their goal is 100% to focus on the animals. And so I feel like then I would have had an even deeper connection and maybe like shed some tears watching these babies grow up. Um, and from the safari driver perspective, it's just cool to watch, um, almost like a neighbor in a way, kind of watching uh, the neighbor kids grow up. Yeah, I mean, that, that does make a lot of sense, just seeing all of that right before your very eyes. Um, and I'm kind of curious, did 
you mainly drive or is that what you did the majority of the time? Because I know you also have to do like loading and stuff like that, right? Yeah. When you work at the attraction, you, you do everything, um, related to a, a, a guest flow role. So of course I'm not learning how to be a coordinator or a manager. I'm not doing animal care, none of that, but anything pertaining to guest flow, I had to train for and learn how to do even the greeter position at the time there was still the paper fast pass system. So again, dating myself a little bit. Um, so fast pass distribution at the time, um, fast pass return, uh, load, unload, stroller parking, all those roles. But in any given day, I don't think a lot of people realize how many trucks there are um, and therefore how many cast members work at Kilimanjaro Safaris. It's one of the the more highly staffed roles and staffed attractions. Um, there are on, at least this was back in 2007, on a peak day, there were 40 trucks uh, out on the Savannah. So that means there's 40 individual cast members who are driving guests around at any given time. Um, and so that meant that most of my day was spent on a truck because there was more of a need for cast members in those positions than the single person in the greeter position or the two people at unload or the two people at the load positions, um, or technically four, if you consider assigning rows and then, and then managing the air gates and safety from the boarding process. But yeah, most of my day about three and an eight hour shift or eight hour, 45 minute shift because they consider lunch to be unpaid on its break. Then I would have four shifts in a day um, or like four individual positions in a day. And three of those four were on a truck. They gave us one once a day, each of us uh, some other position. And that was to give us the opportunity to kind of rest our voice and um, not have to focus so much on driving. It gave us a nice little break from from driving the trucks and making sure we only did one added one in a day, made sure that everybody had a fair turn to get one of those positions too. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense. So I, I had a question on the uh, on the actual safari, uh, the the creaky bridge. I was kind of curious why it doesn't really fall anymore. They kind of stopped doing that. Yeah, I don't know. To be honest, I I'm not sure why they stopped it. There was a short amount of time when I worked there that it had to go through maintenance, so it didn't work then. But that was for about a month. Um, but and again, it was just kind of routine maintenance to fix it up. I feel like it might have been with the shift in story because the storyline for Kilimanjaro Safaris has changed. Back when I did it, it was more of a story-driven attraction where there were we were there out on on a safari for two weeks and it was cut short because of poaching. And as we were running through the Savannah, we would start weaving in the messaging about poaching in a very intentional way that piqued guests awareness of it while at the same time teaching them about the animals. And they were learning about the animals and therefore growing a deeper appreciation for them and also hearing that there might be signs of poaching in the area. And just then merged into this point where all of a sudden guests had this knowledge of the animals and they were hearing that poachers had um, you know, perhaps stolen a baby and a mother elephant. And then of course all the guests were like, yeah, let's go get those poachers. Let's go save, you know, save those elephants. Okay. And so the the storyline was more, I think, action driven to get people to 
physically get engaged in, even if they were just still sitting there, um, or perhaps emotionally get engaged in the the battle against poaching. And they took that storyline uh, away in, I forgot the year, it was uh, a few years after I left. And now it's more of a traditional, you know, you sit down and you go out in the savannah for 20 minutes. Um, it's no longer a two-week safari. They, they kind of took that storyline away. I don't think the bridge had much of an impact on that story, but I feel like that's when they changed it and perhaps guests thought that it was really a broken bridge because um, yeah, there are guests that that really do, because Disney can be very convincing with story, uh, buy into the fact that that's really a tilt. You know, that bridge almost broke. We almost died right there. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know why they made that decision. But, yeah, they they uh, I, I'm pretty sure at times with the change of the storyline that they they stopped the bridge from tilting and just made it stationary. Well, I it's interesting because I did my CP this time last year and. Uh, when I was there, I wrote it once, and it didn't have the creaky bridge. But then I wrote it again, and they did have it. So I wonder if it's like every now and then they test it to like see if it's working, or like to test it to like see if guests like it or how they react. Because um, like one out of six, probably six times, it worked when I when I did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I also remember when you mentioned that storyline um, at the end, towards the um, towards the end of the ride. Didn't they used to have gunshots that would fire like the poachers were shooting at your truck? Yeah. Yeah. Very convincing gunshot sounds um, at the end of the ride. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was I was a kid and I was like, they are actually shooting at us. Um, that that was surreal for me as a kid. Um, so, yeah, that was that was funny. But yeah. Uh, and not to not to harp on the on the bridge too much, but a, a fun little fun fact here is. He, as cast members, we technically had the ability to stop the bridge from tilting. Um, it's it's not so much that there was a button in the cab that said like you know hey we're gonna stop this from tilting sort of like in, there's no e stop button in our car, but in order for that bridge scene to work because safety always comes first with Disney, the vehicle had to move at a particular speed, um, and there was. Uh, next time you go and look at the end of the bridge on the left side, on the driver's side, there's a blinking light. Um, <clears throat> and the light would blink to warn us if we were going too fast. And if it kept blinking and we got past the point where it was supposed to tilt, it would just e-stop itself and it wouldn't tilt. So if it and if it was going to work, then the light would go off for us to say, you know, like, all right, here we go. It's showtime. Um, so if, it, if there was ever, this never happened to me, but. If there was ever a situation where for some reason there was like a terrified guest and we just knew that that bridge would put them over the edge, we could just drive a little too fast um, and the bridge wouldn't work and we could just drive over it without it tilting. That's like brilliant. By yeah, Disney. That's, that's cool. Um, yeah, that's that's really cool. I'm going to have to pay attention to that next time. <laughs> I don't know if the light is still active because if it's not intentionally working, they might just keep it off all the time. But when it was operational, it would blink if we were going too fast. Um, and then I had another question. So I, this is probably so simple, but they're on the safari. There's these chain, chain link. Um, I don't know what you'd call them. Uh, cords on the floor, uh, on the ground yeah. that drive over. What's the purpose of those? Yeah. So basically those are cattle guards. They are meant to keep the animals in different sections from crossing into a different section. Um, it's not hazardous to the animals. It's not electrified. Like there's nothing that would harm them, but it's a nuisance. And it's not like, it, it's almost like, uh, 
you know, putting your walking over uh, like coarse rocks or something with your bare feet. Like it's just not pleasant and it, it just kind of stops you from going forward. So in the case of the animals, it prevents them from going into a different section because especially for the hooved animals, it just doesn't feel pleasant. Um, so it stops them from going, but there are times where some of the animals do leap. And if they're, if they're really interested in getting over that, that guard, they can. And there's been a couple times where it's happened, but usually they're very, you know, docile animals. So it's not anything that guests have to worry about. It's more for the animal safety than the guest safety. Yeah. I always thought that was like a timing thing for Disney. Like by the time you went over that, someone else was going over something else. So, um, but yeah, that's cool to know. So really quickly, uh, we'll throw it to a break. Um, we'll get a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. So just don't go anywhere, and we'll be right back. And we are back. Phil, your voice sounded great on those reads. Thank you. <laughs> as always. Yeah, as always. Um, so, yeah, kind of moving right along, uh, we wanted to briefly ask you about your campus rep position a little bit, um, kind of just going into it. Uh, were, were, did you, was it almost like a recruiting process or how did, what, what exactly did you do? Yeah, it was, I think it's a much simpler role not to put it down cause it, it was, it had its complexities, but when you compare it to something di- as dynamic as working at Kilnardra Safaris, it seems like a regular, you know, <laughs> like a regular job you could get anywhere else. Uh, I did have to apply for it. I did have to interview for it, but it wasn't a difficult interview process. I had done the college program. And when you work for Disney, as I'm sure you guys know, they have a record of every interaction. Um, well, not every interaction, but like you have a you almost have a scorecard to show your reliability for being on time. And if there's any any notes on your on your cast member record, positive or negative, how many positive guest interactions you were spotted by a manager, you know, sort of going above and beyond or getting a guest, uh, you know, above and beyond card, those little things. And I think that helps when it comes to recruiting to pick people who who have more positive marks on their their cast member scorecard than the negative marks. And I had to just interview for it. And that was it. And it wasn't anything too complicated. And there was also a need for it on my campus because it, it does go by campus location it's wherever i'm going to school and they needed people so it was not like i had a lot of competition to to get the position and after that it was a really flexible type of work environment the only the only specific time i had to physically be somewhere was when again this was kind of back in the day when you would uh go to a presentation on campus with a recruiter, then you would apply with the recruiter and interview with the recruiter on campus. It was very different um, than now where it's more of a, you know, a remote virtual type of experience. So the only time I had to physically be present was during those, those few presentations during the semester when the recruiter was there. Otherwise we, my team of, uh, there was about three of us, um, we were equals. They, they were not like reporting to me or anything. When I say my team, it sounds like I manage them. Um, <laughs> there was like a team of three or four of us and we uh, would go around campus and hang up flyers and uh, make ourselves available. We had like Facebook pages and uh, back in the early days of social media, there was no Instagram. Um, we had the Twitter accounts for our campus and uh, sent out our emails and we, I think we had a couple of meetings with some campus 
clubs and organizations and tried to go into those schools and uh, go into those clubs, I should say, and uh, talk to them about the Disney College program. But our real goal that we were measured by was how many students we could physically get into the presentation with the recruiter. And then from there, it was the recruiter's job to get people to apply and to get people to, you know, get accepted into the program. But that was our main goal is on our own schedule, just try to do grassroots marketing efforts to get students to attend the live presentation. Okay, yeah, that um, I, that makes more sense. I, I was a little unsure at first um, what you did, but it seems it seems pretty cool because it's a, a simple, simple position, but uh, you still get to represent the company in a way. And you get all the perks that come with it, which is one yeah. of my incentives for wanting to do it. So anytime <laughs> I went down to Disney after, you know, as a campus rep, I still got the uh, the free access to the parks, uh, except for blackout dates and, um, you know, the discounts on the the hotels and the merchandise. So it made my my Disney trips a little bit more affordable as a college student. So it was a, an easy, easy uh, job to do. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's very cool. I would I would, I didn't even know about about that or I'm not sure if it's still a thing or not um I don't think so yeah because I guess it's all digital now but yeah that would have been a really cool position to have um just like while going to school for sure um all right kind of moving into your professional internship uh that you had in you said it was in marketing strategy with the Disney Vacation Club is that correct that's correct. You have very, very different type of internship and a much different process. It was more like applying for a job than a mm-hmm. than the Disney College program. So with the Disney Professional Internship Program, you do have to have a specific position in mind that you apply to. And in my case, I applied to four professional internships and each one has its own application process. Each one has its own interview process. Although I think the first interview with the casting department is the same. So you have one casting interview and they pass those notes along to the hiring managers and those individual teams and they decide if they want to take you on for the next round of interviews. The position that I got, I had three interviews in addition to the casting interview. And so I guess four altogether. And each one got increasingly more difficult. Uh, I think that the first one was casting. The second one was with the hiring manager. You know, I think there were three altogether, not four. I take that back. Because the first, the first, the next one was with the hiring manager. And then the one after that was with the hiring manager and a few members of the team. And they, uh, you know, they definitely asked some difficult questions. And because I was applying to specific marketing strategy roles, I I went to school for marketing, it made sense. They asked academic questions that only someone who had a degree in marketing and, or was pursuing marketing and took marketing classes would be able to answer. Um, At least they'd be able to answer in in the way that they're looking for. And they asked about my, my intentions with the program. They asked challenging questions and it was, I don't remember all the specific questions they asked, but I really had to be prepared and on my toes. And then when I got accepted, I got a call for a, one of those specific positions that I had applied for. And I was the only person who got accepted into that role. So unlike the Disney College program, where you might have in a given term, 10, 20 cast members working in an individual attraction, 
and you multiply it by the number of attractions and and uh, quick service locations and hotels and it's it amounts to thousands of people um you know you had to be a lot more focused and and know that's what you want to do and then uh, compete with not as many people as the Disney College program, but still compete with a large number of uh, of people who are looking to get that same exact job. Um, and when I was brought onto the team, I went through the same process with the Disney College program of going through traditions again and the uh, you know going through the casting onboarding process. And then, as opposed to going to a park and learning how to operate an attraction, I showed up in my business casual attire to a <laughs> an office completely off-site from Walt Disney World. They're actually headquartered in Celebration, which I loved working in Celebration. Um, and it was like starting an office job. I I met my you know the people I was going to be working with. I met mm-hmm. my manager. I met the the sort of mentor that has, that was going to train me and learns the met the people on the different teams the sales team the the legal and compliance team um and it was very much a they call it disney professional internship for a reason it really was a professional right. internship um you know nine to five thirty every day i didn't clock in and clock out but they kind of made sure i was there on time and left on <laughs> time uh and i had marketing projects to work on for disney vacation club that's re- that's a really cool experience for sure i one of the questions I was going to ask is if it was in celebration because um, I, I know that what did you were you in that building that it's a, it's entirely dedicated to the Disney Vacation Club right that whole building yeah it's a three story building yeah. um, it's kind of isolated from the other corporate buildings in Celebration there's a section of corporate buildings in Celebration um right off of 192 for those of you who know your orlando roads and uh <laughs> kind of turn into celebration from 192 i think it's called celebration plaza is the entrance there and there's three big i think like 12 story 10 story buildings um that house a lot of the executives and teams that work at walt disney world in a corporate setting and then there's team disney which is more executive and you know like the, those who run right. walt disney world are located in team disney um but yes uh, the disney vacation club building is totally isolated in a different part of the town and it's devoted just mm-hmm. to disney vacation club and if you call disney vacation club most of the time you're reaching someone who's in that building oh that's very cool good to know um so i did you have a preference on uh what you liked more, the office life or driving on the safari? They're, I think, very different. When it comes to a fun job, Kilimanjaro Safaris takes it. Uh, it's hard to ever say you would do anything like that anywhere else in the world. So I, that, to me, was the more fun job. But mm-hmm. for a job where I feel like I'd want to spend my career doing, definitely Disney Vacation Club's marketing Um job there was a lot more autonomy you know i didn't have to clock in and clock out every single break and uh you know get assigned to specific roles to do specific things at specific times and have my whole day managed for me um you know just a vacation club i was given projects and i had it like almost like being in school you have a deadline you have to reach that deadline but it's up to you to decide how you get it done and you have check-in you know meetings with your your team and you can ask other people for advice and 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 help and sort of put on more of a strategic thinking cap than uh, at Kilimanjaro Safaris. And not to mention the fact that I worked in air conditioning uh, as opposed yeah. to at Kilimanjaro Safaris and working outside all day. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that alone makes a difference. Yeah. So um, 
we do have a lot more to talk about, and uh, we don't want to take up too much time um, for Matthew. So uh, I think this would be kind of a good place to put a plug in it and um, maybe look for a part two. So yeah, um, kind we, of, yeah. we still we still have to ask him about his podcast. Yeah, we have a lot to talk, talk about. Talk about his show, um, and of course do our regular stuff like our trivia and Instagram investigation. So yeah, we, we can't, we still uh, have more to, more to ask them and more to talk about. You got time to study up on your trivia. So oh, good, um, good. I didn't know there was well, going to be a quiz until today. So I'll have yeah. to go back and study up. <laughs> well, um, yeah, with that, we'll just, we'll put a plug in it. Um, then we'll be in contact with you and we'll, we'll get started with, uh, make sure to go two. check out his episode yeah. before, uh, we, we come back with part two. And yeah. It'll be in the bio of the episode. Yep. But I'm sure anyone listening to this already listens to the Imagineer podcast. So, yeah. um, well, thank you all for listening. And uh, thank you, Matthew, for being on part one. And we'll see you again for part two really soon. Yes. Thank you both so much. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.